0: Hello and welcome to the Vox podcast. This is a brand new podcast for 2021. My name's Alan. My name's Salo. We are going to be your hosts going forward and what we hope is going to be many more episodes and everything we're talking about is in the wonderful world of Vox, past, present and future. And uh, one thing we're not going to be doing is getting into you know, amp settings and all sorts of things like that. There's lots of that out there if you want to find it. But we wanted to, you know, really look at things that are interesting to us, people that are interesting to us, and have a bit of fun, give a few things away, and talk about what's new, really, things that are interesting and exciting and sound good, basically. So, Salo. What have we got coming up in this episode? Well, we've got lots to talk about pedals mm-hmm. and we've got some special guests as well. Okay. So didn't you, weren't you using the the new V847C wire pedal a little while back? Did you have one of those? Yeah, yeah. I did a little bit, a few bits of recording with that as well. It's a tasty wow. little
1: wire. Very, it's nice to have something that offers a bit of contrast to the wire I've been using for many years now, which is our current hand-wired model, which is a great wire in itself. Yeah. But it, it's always nice to have those small variances that you can get with different wires. You get a very different feel more than the sound itself.
0: Yeah, And right. the, the new VH47C is a, it's a very interesting one. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a kind of interesting background about this, pedal. It was, it was uh, designed in, in Japan by our engineers over there who um, worked with a, a really famous Japanese guitar player who's called Char yeah and he's not known outside of Japan, but in fact he was voted number one guitarist in Japan uh, back in 2016 in a in a poll conducted by guitar magazine yeah and it's, it's kind of interesting how a, a great player like that just doesn't really kind of make you know make his name in uh, in other countries because I've actually seen seen this guy in uh, play at the Nam Show in January uh, last year, and he's fantastic he he's he's got really really tasteful style and sounds a bit like jeff beck in a lot of ways yeah. you know and i don't use that phrase lightly but he, he's i think he's been quite inspired by jeff beck and yeah. um yeah he was, he was a, a really a really great player to listen to and um he was playing this war at this um uh, this event that i went to and yeah it sounded really cool and um yeah so he was involved in in making this this product, and so when they were doing what they call the voicing sessions, they were using, they purchased a really great sounding 1960s Vox Wah and used that as the the reference model. They had it shipped over from New York. Oh yeah, and uh, and I played I played both the reference model and this pedal. And they were, they both sounded fantastic to me. And yeah, so yeah, so to me this this just has a, a more powerful sound. Uh, a, a sort of the frequency sweep seems to be bigger and more improved and and it's just got a a, a really warm tone so did you record the the new wire pedal Sal or or, um, just playing around with it yeah I did a few bits of recording and I can play a bit for you now that would be great yeah Yeah, it's really great. So
1: how did you get on with it then? Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's like what were saying. saying, uh, a lot of things about wars it's more about the feel and the response. And this has got very different voice than my other wah. So it, it's it's just great thing. I've always been a wah player because uh, I play a lot of funk and soul music. And as uh, part of my pedal board all the time. So uh, it, it's a very different one, voiced, like you say, it's got a deeper voice yeah. than my usual wah. So it's, you know, for going into a cranked up amp, it's ideal, really. Yeah, but it does still work for, for other regular things as well, just with a different voice than uh, some other wires out there, like the hand one,
0: sure, sure. for example. Yeah. Valve energy pedals are shipping. These are brand new, four new pedals. Salo, why don't you take us through the lineup? Yeah, so we've got the Copperhead
1: Drive, which, you know, is a more sort of British stack sort of voiced pedal. We've got a cutting edge pedal, which is, uh, you can probably think sort of californian high gang pedal yeah mystic edge which is our traditional vox ac sort of sound it will do both you know people often ask about this particular pedal is it just you know the top boost channel or is it just the normal channel it's got such a great eq section active eq section that you can mm. make it work for both sounds basically yeah. and then lastly but not least we've got a silk drive which is more that kind of boutique bluesy cleaner
0: drive brilliant so with Thousands of pedals out there in the market, I suppose one of the things that our listeners might be wondering is, well, where do these four new pedals sit amongst the sort of sea of effects and other kind of pedals out there? And um, yeah. we put that question to Mr. Phil Scarf, who is the lead engineer on the Vox Valve Energy project. And here's what he had to say. The main design goals for the Valve Energy
1: pedals were we wanted to create a great sounding range of new tube distortion pedals but with extra features and some new technology thrown in to expand what the potential for a typical distortion pedal could be. and hopefully make the pedals more useful in different applications for the modern player whether that is recording at home or live amplifier free performance. The modern guitar player is using technology in lots of different ways and we wanted to make sure that we could take the typical design of a distortion pedal and add something new to it so that it really expands the horizons for what the pedal could actually be used for. Thanks for that, Phil. Yeah, one of the great things that people don't sometimes realize about these pedals is that they have very unique features in the modes that they offer. And mm. two of those modes are very applicable for the circumstances that we find that ourselves in now, right? Lots of people are trying to do lots of home recording or just you know, exactly practicing yeah. at home. But obviously, if you don't get great tone when you're doing those things, they can be, they can have an effect on the way you play, mm. even in the amount of practice you put in you know if you haven't got great tone you just don't want to be practicing do you with those pedals uh, they facilitate recording a lot to get great tones easily but not only that they offer options that let you explore quite a few different things
0: yeah all, all of that makes complete sense and you know i think the other thing about these kind of pedals is if you're working in a small space you've got a computer yeah you just want to put a couple of pedals on your on your desktop area along with your interface and and that's it you off you go yeah If you've ever taken steps into the realm of music production and recording, it's highly likely that you've benefited from reading some of the countless number of features and articles on the subject within the pages of Sound on Sound magazine, written by our special guest, Paul White. After working in the electronics industry for 12 years, Paul began writing technical features for Home Studio Recording magazine before joining Sound on Sound, becoming the magazine's editor-in-chief in 2004. Along the way, he's also built studios, Engineered and produced records, written over 20 textbooks on recording, and been honoured with a Basker Award. He's also highly knowledgeable and passionate about all things guitar. Whether it's advising on getting a great recorded guitar sound, adding to his collection, making his own instruments, or indeed, checking out the latest new Vox gear. Join us now as we find out more about the man behind the words of wisdom. So, hi Paul, how are things at Sound on Sound magazine?
2: Well... Pretty much the same as everyone else, you know. But at least we've been working from home since the start of the year, so lockdown hasn't really affected the way that we produce things. Sure. Obviously, it's uh, it's an issue when um, booksellers like Smiths have to close for a while during lockdown. Uh, that affected us earlier in the year, but subscriptions have gone up, and, and we're doing pretty well, I think.
0: Oh, that's great to hear. Well, I suppose with so much time on on people's hands, you know, a lot of people are choosing to find new hobbies and, and get into things that they've always wanted to but suddenly they've got these hours
2: mm. and
0: um certainly the case for me you know I've been getting in digging out a lot of old gear and um fixing things so yeah good to hear so one of the things about sound on sound is um how many of the writers are actually guitar players on there because I know there's occasionally features about guitar gear but it seems to be predominantly about you know um electronic music perhaps more than anything else uh, do many of the guys play guitar? Really into guitar?
2: I think all of them actually play guitar as a main instrument. Yeah, and a couple play pedal steel as well, which is very brave.
0: And how about how about the readers? Do you think many are playing and recording guitar, or or is it predominantly EDM these days?
2: It's a funny mixture. Uh, last time we did a reader survey, we found around 60% of the readers played guitar as their first instrument. But like most guitar players, uh, myself included, I dabble around with synths as well including yeah. the uh, lovely called Legacy collection.
0: Good to hear. So when did you first get into making music and did you use any Vox gear back in the day?
2: Well, let's see. I first got into music as a drummer and I'd seen some band at the local youth club when I was at school and kind of liked the idea of drums, but yeah. I didn't know what was in a drum set and there was no literature at the time. In fact, when someone mentioned I might buy a drum kit, I thought, well, I'm not good at putting kits together. Can I get one that's already made? <laughs> <laughs> There's just nothing around at all. Yeah. Uh, so, so um I'd, I'd fixed up this old air rifle, which I then swapped for a, a really bad snare drum, and <laughs> set about learning to play that, and then added bits uh, of non-matching drum kit. Uh, but at the time, I, I got drafted into the school band, which actually turned out to be a really good one. Um, the guitar player had a half to a very thin, played through an AC-30, did a lot of Shadow stuff, um, so I had a Watkins copycat, of course you had mm. to. It was a law back then. That's it. And, uh, and it sounded fantastic, but it, he hadn't got the top boost model. So um, I was vaguely interested in electronics. So I built some treble boosters based on the old Rangemaster circuit. And used to put them in old coffee tins, you know, and you had the jack socket poking out the top. <laughs> yeah. and, and we got our sound that way. And then later on, I started experimenting with fuzz boxes as well. Uh, Great. And then I had to buy a cheap electric guitar to test these things I was making. And eventually I got drawn over to the dark side and took over the guitar.
0: Ah, OK. And what, what kind of amps were you using in those days?
2: Well, my first real amp um, was an AC30 again, which I picked up second hand for about £30. Before that, it was lots of these little um, valve practice amps, which were so common at the time and which mm. are probably really expensive to buy now. But you could pick them up at the local second shop for a tenner and it was like a four valve amp. And you could yeah. get a really good sound out of those. But yeah, the Vox was my first real one, but because the AC-30 was so loud, yeah. I found it really hard to hit the sweet spot at any normal gig level. You know, people mm. would have their ears bleeding by the time you got it sounding good. Yeah. That's why overdrive pedals became so important. Exactly.
0: And what was it about the actual sound of the AC-30 that appealed, or was it just because you'd seen so many bands of that era using it?
2: Well, there was a kind of shadows connection, obviously, but also that kind of jangle that you got when you were playing that almost clean rhythm sound, which you didn't seem to get from the competition. They always sounded a bit kind of dull and were being overdriven quite hard. And, of course, it was the first readily available decent amplifier in the UK, so it was the one that everyone aspired to.
0: Yeah, I always wonder whether, you know, the, the kind of sheer energy and intensity of the bands in the 60s and 70s was... Maybe because they often had these smaller amps, but everything was on full, you know, everything cranked up. Did you play with everything turned up full or? Not or what, very what often. Was typical... It was painfully
2: loud. Yeah. yeah. And you certainly couldn't at any of the working men's Club gigs that you played at, which was predominantly where you could get work back in those days. Of course. Yeah. yeah.
0: But and this was, this was the golden era for seeing some amazing live bands. You know, did you get to see any of the rock greats from that time?
2: Yeah, I mean, luckily I, I live in Malvern, which has a, a theatre that used to be on the circuit for all the main bands. So I saw, the, I think it was the first ever King Crimson gig. Uh-huh. Saw Cream there twice. Seen the Who, Stevie Winwood, you know, um, backed Uriah Heep there several times. Hmm. Barclay James Harvest. We backed those when I was in the band. Wow! Um, you've had just lots of great bands every week. Doesn't happen now. No, and you saw The Beatles. So. I saw The Beatles in Sheffield, yes, at some cinema, and now I couldn't hear anything for the screaming. They were, were backed <laughs> by the Moody Blues, who were actually musically a lot better.
0: I've seen some pictures of Pete Townsend using Vox in those years. What's your memory of that show? I mean, did the, did the Vox amp even survive the stage show?
2: Yeah, this is the first time I saw The Who, which is a tiny club in Sheffield called the Mojo Club, and we were sitting on what was effectively a park bench about six feet from the stage. Uh, I'm not sure what Townsend was using at the time, but I think John Entwistle had one of those big Vox setups with the chrome frame. If you oh, remember, yeah. The, yeah. The big bass yeah. thing. And the overriding memory, apart from it being loud and very good, was Pete Townsend uh, extinguishing the light bulbs that ran along the top of the stage by prodding them with his Rickenbacker and breaking the glass. <laughs> and I was just waiting for him to go up in flames. <laughs>
0: So, do you, do you still have any of of your gear from that period, or did you did you sell it all off and or yeah, lose yeah, anything? Got
2: sold, nicked, borrowed, and not yeah. returned—the usual story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even right back then, yeah, we got to support the Who. Actually, at, um, oh, really? Yeah, when I was still at school, my last year at school, we got to support them at um, Barnsley Civic Hall, yeah. <laughs> which was quite a big venue at the time. They used to have lots yeah. of bands. And again, I used to get in there free because I uh, volunteered to work the stage lights. So I used to go there every week and see all the bands.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. So what other Vox Amps have you used over the years then?
2: Nothing in the valve line, strangely enough. I've always fancied mm. an AC-15, but never got one. And then the uh, the VTX line came out with the, with the valve. Um, yeah. And that actually worked really well and gave me the sound that I wanted at a manageable level because obviously I had power scaling, which the valve amps of the time didn't. Yeah. So uh, I was so worried that they were going to become obsolete and unrepairable that I ended up buying three of them. <laughs> <laughs> so they're still scattered around. Oh, house. We, we,
0: we love customers like you, Paul. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And what's the other one? I bought the little um, AD30VT
0: yeah mm.
2: the one with the chrome grille
0: mm. that's first first generation of valvetronics wasn't it yeah no yeah. second second actually yeah I
2: thought yeah it was the second generation but i think it was the first in that format yeah i still think it's one of the best sounding even though it doesn't have as much flexibility as the later models mm. and I, i've still got one of those um stored in a hotel over in turkey so that when i go on holiday i, I can go to the local gigs and jam along brilliant so that's that's good news but i love that little amplifier it was great for small pub gigs as well and more recently of course um the last thing i bought in the amp line from you if you remember was the mv50ac the little tiny head yes which are incredibly loud but they've they've got quite an authentic vox kind of tone you can di them i made my own speaker cab to go with it mm. And that was that was really nice, and although it doesn't have an effects loop for reverb or delay, if you're recording with it, you can always stick those effects on afterwards, of course
0: sure did you ever use that alive Paul the m v fifty or was it just I in the
2: didn't um, it's quite often in the car as a backup in case something broke, yeah, but um, the fact that I couldn't have my reverb without the reverb Coming before the front end of the amp uh, was a bit of a deal breaker because I yeah. like the breakup of the amp so yeah. much that I didn't want to have to rely on a drive pedal to get my sound.
1: Yeah. One interesting thing about those amps is that uh, because they're so small and portable and fairly affordable as well, uh, we've seen a number of people choosing to use like the MV50 AC for the breakup and then in parallel to that using something like the clean version and just sticking. Effects through that, so you have like a, a faux wet dry setup, and uh but it's still like super easy to put together because they're tiny little things, aren't
2: they? So. It is. I mean, that could be fun to try. I've also heard of people just using them as a preamp to another amplifier and still sounding good. That's right. Use yeah. the line output. It, it's a great little thing. I mean, that that whole um, hybrid valve technology thing works so well.
0: Yeah, a lot of a lot of players I've heard of just you know using it as the 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 little backup amp throw it in the guitar case and if any if everything else is uh, not working out on the night you've always got that you've always got that unit there to uh, play the gig that's right
2: mm. yeah and it's just so cute you just have to have it <laughs> yeah and of course that brings us on to the more current yeah yeah projects. well we've which, the uh, which are the pedals? yeah the new
0: valve energy pedals um, literally just arriving at the moment and uh, four in the range and I think you've had a look at these haven't you Paul
2: yeah, I reviewed the whole range, and I was impressed by all of them. That's great. I mean, they've all got very individual characters, and I like the fact that you can use them in different ways. You can either use it as a DI device, or you can use it as a, as a, as a stomp pedal or, or as a preamp. Mm. It's quite flexible. And uh, I was particularly impressed by, well, obviously the Vox emulation, which is a Mystic yeah. Edge, yeah. And, and the Copperhead, which is another well-known Milton <sighs> Keynes-based amplifier. Yeah. Company Emulation, mm. as far as I know, mm. so those cover most of my uh, bases, but having said that, I really liked what the other two did as well right, so I think you're really yeah. onto something there
0: great right uh,
2: and if you're DIing them, you can either use the inbuilt speaker simulator or if you've got something fancy on your computer system that uses impulse responses to give you um, you know a more accurate speaker response, then you've got a lot more flexibility because you can put it into a choice of different virtual speaker cabinets
1: mm. Yeah, they sound so good when doing that as
2: well. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never been a huge fan of DI-ing uh, overdrive guitar, at least when I'm trying to record, but I've got some good results with that and I actually uh, used a couple on the last Hippie album I did.
0: <laughs> well, that brings us nicely onto your uh, current music projects. Um, what, what are you working on at the moment?
2: I'm working on a couple of things. I'm uh, editing up a live album for Gordon Giltrap, who found some old recordings from about 20 years mm, ago. Interesting. And that's really good stuff. So I'll be editing that and sweetening it a little bit. Sure. And of course, Gordon also is a guest performer on Cydonia Collective, which is a duo between myself and Mark Soden. And mm-hmm. um, we're, not, we're not quite sure what we are, but it's got elements of ambient, chill out and cinematic about mm-hmm. it. It's mainly instrumental but with some nice sort of abstract vocals from Alice Rosewild, who is another local musician, who is a fantastic singer. And Gordon comes along and contributes the odd guitar riffs, which we then chop up and rearrange when he's gone home. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm, I'm loving all of that. And as I say, in the in the latest recordings, I've started using those pedals rather than making up everything all the time.
0: Great. Well, we and, uh, look forward to hearing the results so of that.
2: that. Yeah.
1: Is that with the pedals going straight into the recording device and not, not through any amps?
2: Yeah, That's right, straight into my Presonus audio interface and then I was adding a little bit of um, speaker cabinet emulation either from the Logic cabinets or one of the Celestian IRs hmm. tweaking the sound that way. And it really does work well. Yeah, it it right. to have captured that um, kind of weight that you don't get from a lot of DI devices. So many can sound thin. But with the right speaker emulator on it and and, and the right tonal settings, you can get a really good sound out of it.
0: Great. So it seems that there are more guitarists than ever who want to sort of dip their toes into recording at home these days. And I know you could write a book about this subject. Well, you you probably have several, but um, what would be your advice on getting a great recorded guitar sound?
2: Well, First of all, listen carefully to the players you want to emulate, because there's always this tendency to use too much overdrive and too much treble when you're Mm. recording and then you end up with something that sounds fizzy and thin. So uh, that will be one tip. The other one would be to use less overdrive and maybe combine that with some compression, which could either be a compressor pedal or a plug-in, and get a bit more sustain that way, especially if you're after that sort of in-between sound, which is not quite dirty, and not quite clean. Mm. But mainly use your ears and not overdo things. Do you have any
1: sort of personal preference in terms of using uh, hardware instead of software plug to achieve certain sounds?
2: Other than those pedals, I've tried the, um, the Line 6 HX uh, Stomp, which is like a, a mini helix. Uh, I didn't really get on with it until I found some third-party uh, patches that you could buy which came with new impulse responses, and, and that's actually quite usable now, but I still think I prefer an analogue pedal at the front of the chain. Mm. There's just something uh, magical about it. Yeah. We'll always do stuff to it afterwards.
1: Yeah. With the valve energy, I think it, it is really tangible the difference yeah, that new tube makes in that circuit, isn't
2: it? Yeah. And I suppose the other tip is also not just to think of the guitar in the way that you normally think of it. I mean, in the music that we do, for example, we use a lot of slow attack shimmer sounds, which sound more like strings or organs mm. than, than guitar, which uh, we achieve largely with plugins. That's quite fun. Uh, I built myself a fretless guitar, which I can play with an ebo, And that sounds like some kind of oriental instrument because you can get very slow slides on it. Yeah. And I also play a lot of fretless bass. I made myself a fretless bass. And although I'm not really a bass player for the kind of music we've got, it fits in really well. And the tip there is that if your intonation isn't great on fretless, thank heavens for (laughs) (laughs) auto-tune. If you set that running slowly, it will tidy up all your fretless parts without taking your slides out.
1: Well, micro-tuning is all the rage with the synth guys nowadays, isn't it? So uh, to have a fretless instrument that you can do that in Mm -hmm. a more natural way
2: uh, seems to... Yeah, a very modern thing too. Yes, but most of my microtonal uh, scales are unintentional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but have, a, have a check of it, because you'll find that half of what you think are synthesizers are actually processed guitar. And, and there's so much more you can do, because the guitar is a very organic sounding thing. Yeah. you just playing a single note with something like an ebo, Yeah. The tonal structure of it changes all the way through in a way that a synth doesn't really... So I always like to hear something real. And, of course, you throw in the odd, um, the odd acoustic guitar part as well. I'd like to say it was a Tecumini, but I haven't um, bought one yet. <laughs> yeah, the, guitar, uh, the guitarist I play live with uses a Tecumini with the, uh, the little valve preamp in yeah. it. He says it's the best thing he's ever heard. Wow. And certainly it's the only one I've heard that doesn't sound quacky. Mm, mm. bridges normally sound a bit quacky, but that sounds lovely. Yeah.
0: Well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks ever so much for joining us.
2: No, it's been a pleasure. So if you'd like to just give me any secrets about what you're, um, what you're going to release next, we can say goodbye. Well,
0: um, we can probably do a little bit of that off air, but um, failing that, you'll have to keep tuned to the next episode of our podcast.
2: Ah, more secret <laughs> stuff. All right. Thanks, Solo. Thanks, Thanks Solo. very much,
0: Paul. All the best. Thanks, Paul. So that brings us to the end of the Vox podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks very much to our special guests. We hope to see you next time. So it's bye from me. And bye from me.